I ask today that you would open each of our hearts to understand this scripture and see how you are transforming each one of us to make us more like Jesus. In whose name we pray this morning. Amen. Well, we started a new series and we're looking at the life of David and how God builds a man after his own heart. And it's my prayer that each one of us will become people after God's own heart. We see from this, this reading that, that, that King Saul is now asking David to come into his service. And it's quite interesting because at one point in his life, King Saul had been used by the Lord to accomplish great things. And yet these verses find that, that King Saul has started to live in some desperate days. Because of Saul's rebellion, God has removed his spirit from Saul and allowed an evil spirit to torment him. And Saul is gripped by depression and violent mood swings. And in an effort to help their master, Saul's servants suggest that they might find someone who's skilled with a harp. Because it's been thought that, that music might calm the spirit of King Saul. You might have heard that saying, you know, music hath charms to soothe, to soothe the savage beast. And apparently that was working for Saul. So against this backdrop of depression and madness and, and spiritual tragedy, David is once again on the stage. And whilst David has already been anointed to be the next king of Israel, Saul is allowed to occupy the throne until his successor has been fully trained. And God even uses the, the madness of King Saul to help train this young shepherd boy in his role as future king of Israel. In fact, God uses four very specialized tools to train young David for his, rule, for his role as king. Now, David probably would never have chosen these four tools himself, and I'm sure we wouldn't choose them either if we asked God to train us to do something very special. But God is preparing David to become the king. So I'm very interested in today because the four tools that God is using are exactly the same tools that he's going to use for each one of us in our lives to become God's people. You see, God didn't save us just to leave us where we are. We are to grow up and become more like Jesus every single day. So God saved us to change us. And to accomplish, to accomplish this, He uses various tools in your life and in mine. And they are perfectly suited, these tools, to transforming us. So let's have a look at them. The first one, point one, God uses the tool of solitude. Solitude. You see, it was on the lonely hills of Judea with a flock of sheep for his companions, the starry sky as his cathedral, and the vast expanse of nature as his classroom that David learned some of the most valuable and basic lessons of life. He learned how to be alone with God and with himself. Away from the distraction and the noise of others, David learned how to hear the voice of God. He learned how to commune with God. David learned how to worship God. David learned how to be at peace with himself. There's no value that can be placed on lessons like that. They are priceless lessons. Of course, many in our day have no idea how to be alone or how to be quiet. I mean, you see people hear things in the whole time, all day, every day. There's always something going on around about them. They seem to have trouble being alone. They can't survive without noise, without activity, without the company of others. In fact, I think that if you have problems being alone, 
you've probably got some issues that need dealing with. Jesus himself, he learnt how to be alone with his father. Let me quote some scriptures for you. Mark chapter 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. He was alone, but with the Father, of course. Luke 4.42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Again, a solitary place. Luke 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Again, by himself. John chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. If Jesus needed to spend time with the Father by himself, don't you also need to spend time with the Father by yourself without the distractions of life around about us? So we shouldn't be fearing solitude. If there are times when God shuts you in somehow, look for him. Spend time with him. God is preparing us for greater things. So we need to take time and make time to get alone with God away from the hustle and bustle of life. And I recognize that's not an easy thing to do. One of my favorite alone places on the, sitting on my right on lawnmower. It takes me one and a half to two hours to mow the lawn and there are sticks and stones flying every which way. No one comes anywhere near me. And it doesn't take much brains, by the way, to drive a lawnmower up and down. So I can spend a lot of time praying. And that's one of my special prayer places, to be on my lawnmower, away from people. It works. It works. So find a place where you can commune with God, a place where you can hear His voice. Another one of the favorite places I've got is the washing line. Yeah, I'm the person who hangs up the washing on the washing pole. So I hang it up, and I look up at the sky, and I'm praising God. It's a lonely place with the washing pole, me and God. It's great. You can find these places in your life. You can. Each one of us can. So God uses the tool of solitude. He also, next point, is that God uses the tool of secrecy. Because before David could ever sit on the throne and rule the nation of Israel, he had to spend countless hours alone, unacknowledged and unappreciated. Day after day, David spent time with his father's sheep in the hills of Judea, all by himself, just him and the sheep. David learned to be faithful in his responsibilities, even though no one else was watching. He learned obedience. He learned humility. He learned to be watchful. He learned the lessons in the secret places that he would never have learned if he was in a place of prominence. He was trained in the classroom of, of obscurity. And when he finally received the attention and the applause of others, it didn't go to his head. Because he had learned the lesson that he had to please no one else except for God. That's a good lesson, isn't it? When you look at the Scriptures, you'll find that God often trains His people in private before He uses them in public. Before Elijah stood in power on Mount Carmel, he learned to walk with God faithfully in private. Before Elisha stood tall before Israel as a prophet of God, he learned to serve in the background as he followed Elijah. Before Moses was fit to lead Israel, he spent 40 years in the shadow of Mount Horeb, leading his, his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. The same could be even true, said to be true for Jesus. Before he ever presented himself as Israel's Messiah and, and, and the, and the Saviour of God's elect people, he was raised in obscurity. And what do you know about Jesus' childhood? Scriptures are silent, aren't they? 
It was a place of secrecy where God prepared the Lamb of God for His greatest work. So, there's something we can learn from this. We should never despise the days of obscurity. We all probably have lofty dreams, I'm quite sure. I've got big things in mind that I'd love to have done for God. We want to please Him. We want God to do through us what he hear, we hear Him do through others. But we also need to realize that might be not God's will for you just at the moment, what others have done. But I know that God knows where we are. And in His time, He will use us when, where, and to the extent that He chooses. Trust Him. I am very convinced, and I have scripture for this, you know, that the big dogs in their own eyes and in the eyes of others, they're one day going to have to step aside for some unknown saint of God who's going to move ahead in the line on Judgment Day. I'm convinced that some of God's greatest rewards are reserved for those precious saints who pray. And you know nothing about what they're doing, but they are praying in a secret place. But God knows what they're doing. He has something special waiting for those who've carried the load and borne the burden for others. And He won't forget that they've paid the price of prayer and the sacrifice that took in their lives. Men will never see what you're doing in the secret places. But God knows. And He'll never forget you. Remember Jesus talking about the widow and her might, her one little cent that she offered? He knew. He saw. Carry on. Each one of you, you are precious to God. Even if there's no one else knows what's going on. There is a payday coming. God may use you in a public way. He may not. But as He trains you in the secret place, He's going to get the glory. And that's all really that matters. So God uses the tool of secrecy. But He also, the next point, is that God uses the tool of sameness. There can be little doubt that day blended into day looking after the sheep on the hills of Judea. Monotony, looking after the flock. Countless days, endless routines, the same things day in, day out. That's what marked the life of David. But it was in that monotonous routine of life that David learnt to be a man of God. It was there alone on those mountains doing the same thing day after day. David learnt priceless lessons of faithfulness. David applied himself to the task giving the best that he could do in the mundane things of life. And there's a lesson for every one of us. And when God promoted him, he didn't have to learn to be faithful. He already knew how. He didn't have to learn how to lead responsibly. He'd already learned that. God used the unending monotony of the routine to shape David for greater things. And there's a big lesson for each one of us. Some of us have very garden variety lives, don't we? Nothing big standing out. But God can use that. Day blends into day. We fail to see what God's doing, what's He working at, even in the routine times of our life. But as life unfolds, day upon unchangeless day, we learn to be, little, we learn to be faithful in little things. And that's important. Be faithful in the little things God gives you to do. Because as we learn faithfulness in these seemingly insignificant areas of life, God will expand our level of responsibility. Jesus tells a wonderful story. 
And the end of it says, the master says to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Wouldn't that be amazing on that last day when God looks at you and your life and he sees what you've done? And he says, you've been faithful in those little things that I've given you to do every day. Come and share your master's happiness. I've got a big job for you to be doing in eternity for me now. That's kind of exciting. So let me encourage you, remain faithful in the little things. Let's face it, in the final analysis, the little things are the foundations of your life, aren't they? Keep praying, even when it seems like he's not listening. Keep going to church, even when there's not much happening around the place. Keep giving, even if it gets a little tight. Keep living for Jesus, day in, day out. Refuse to back off or waver from following him. Because in his time, God will bless you. He'll reward you for being faithful during the routine times of life. Yeah, I think so. And I think we need to hear that, every one of us. Because life can get sort of... ah. Another one? Another day? Really? That's going to be exciting, isn't it? But then, of course, the next point too is that God uses the, the tool of struggle. Because David's life was not all about mundane and routine things. It was often. But we also hear about the encounters he had with a lion and a bear. Well, that's in a bit of an adrenaline rush. We watch as he walks alone into a valley and comes up against a giant called Goliath. And kills him with his sling. We see David ignored. We see him criticized. We see him underestimated. We can see, even see him hated and pursued by King Saul, who tries to pin him to the wall with his javelin. God uses the classroom of adversity as a valuable tool designed to teach David about power, provision, and the providence of God. The lesson for us is there are times where the monotony of life is broken by adversity we have to face that now I am convinced that it's not God's purpose to hurt us in those times he allows these things to happen so that he can grow us he desires to teach us patience and faith and dependence upon him and in order to do that he allows trials and adversity after all nothing teaches us more and better about the love and faithfulness and the power of God than when he leads us faithfully through a difficult time and out the other side. In the midst of it, you can't see him. It's only when you look back and you go like, oh, there was God's provision. I didn't know it. I couldn't see it. I was struggling too much. But when you look back, that's when you finally get your vision restored. Many great people in the pages of the Scripture learnt more about the Lord in the fiery furnace of affliction than they could have learnt anywhere else. You remember the, the three Hebrew children in the furnace? Remember the story of Daniel, Elijah, the widow of Zarephath, Noah, the widow of Nain, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the thief hanging on the cross? They all learnt about God in the difficult places. God allowed David to walk through some hard places so that he might use them in the future in a greater, greater fashion. I think God is honing us on that rough stone of affliction. Of course, many of us don't respond correctly to our struggles. Many of us get upset and we sit down on the Lord and say, I'm not doing any more. Too hard. But that response doesn't lead to growth. 
Life is, is 10% about what happens to you and 90% about how you respond to what happens to you. Really. Just look at the trials and the testimony of a bloke called Job. A fascinating story. He walked through a harsh, hard valley, but it revealed that he had a surrendered heart. Even though God would kill him, he says, I don't care, I'm not going to turn away. He was willing to face whatever God placed in front of him for the glory of God. So may God help us not to despise the tool of struggles because it can build character far quicker than any other tool can. So as David has honed upon this wheel of life, God was shaping this boy into a man who would become king. Have a look at verse 18 from the reading. I know I haven't used much scripture today. I've just been talking generalities. Verse 18 of today's reading. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. That verse gives us a glimpse of the man that David was to become. Here we can see the attributes that mark David's life. And some of the same attributes should be true of us as well. Why? Because these are characteristics God wishes to develop in each one of our lives. These attributes were cultivated using the four tools we've heard about today. Because David was a skilled man. He knew how to play the harp. I like the way it's put in the old King James Version. It says he was cunning in his playing of the harp. That means he was an artist who was faithful and trustworthy in his art. It refers to those who are wise and capable and resourceful in every facet of conduct. David learnt these skills while he was out in the hills watching the sheep. God uses the tools we've mentioned to teach us the skills we need to be useful for Him. So we might become skilled people as well. David was also a strong man. He's called mighty, brave, a warrior. That refers to the courage he developed as he led the flocks of sheep in the hard places. As he fought off the lions and the bears. As he defended the flock against raiding Philistines. He was shaped by the hand of the Lord. And David demonstrated a great attribute of courage. That trait is another trait crafted into David's life by the tools we discussed this morning. That courage would serve David well as king. He was skilled. He was strong. And he was shrewd as well. David spoke well. Now, I don't think it's just re referring to his elocution here. He knew when to speak. He knew how to speak. And he knew when to be quiet. That was a trait that would serve him well. Some of us have learned, need to learn that lesson, I think. The Bible talks about that in Proverbs. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Isn't that true? Let's be wise. Let's be like David. Let's speak well. Know when to speak, what to say, and when to just be quiet and listen. Interesting also, David was a striking man. David was said to be fine looking. Now this refers to his physical appearance, but I think it also refers to his overall manner in which he presented himself. David had an air about him that drew men to him. He was beautiful, a glowing person who commanded reverence and praise. He was the kind of person you wanted to be around. And where did he learn this? He learned it on the anvil of life. 
and God applied his various tools and shaped David for his glory. And he was also a sanctified man. He says, the Lord is with him. I think that's David's greatest attribute. God was with him. Can you imagine someone describing you like that? God is with you. God was so with David that the, the, the breath of heaven was upon him. Not only was he special outwardly, he was special inwardly as well. His heart was as refined as his body. Another characteristic that was forged in the furnaces of solitude and secrecy and sameness and struggle. It's a characteristic that enabled David to become a man after God's own heart. Brothers and sisters, I want to bring this to a conclusion. I have a question for you. Does God have you in his workshop today? Is he working on you? Is he developing your life to a life of honor for his glory? Whatever the tools are that the Lord might be applying to your life today, let me encourage you. Yield to him. Say, Lord, have your will. Do whatever you want to do. I want to be a person after your own heart. Because I know God is not trying to harm any one of us. He's trying to develop himself within our lives. He's taking us and he's shaping us for his glory. That we might be conformed to the stature of the fullness of Christ, says the Apostle Paul. So as you look at the life you're living, can you recognize some of the qualities that mark David's life in your own life? Can you see God, evidence of God's work in your life like you ought to? Or is there room for some improvement? Well, then I challenge you, if there's room for improvement, come before the Lord. Ask Him to do His work in you that He needs to do to make you like Jesus. And if you've been struggling against his work in your life, then I challenge you to come and submit to him. Stop fighting God. Work with him instead. Because God is in the business of building kings. Are we kings? Oh, hang on. I remember I quoted something at the beginning of this service. Let's have a look. What's it say in the book of Revelation? This is cool. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. We are royalty. God is making us into royalty so that we can serve him effectively. Just like King David. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you today. And it's difficult to say thank you in the midst of life, particularly when life is just painful and hard. And we don't understand exactly what's going on and why it's going on. I know some of it, Lord, has to do with our own poor choices and all that sort of stuff. And yet, Lord, you, you show through your word that you are working on each one of us. So, Father, I pray that your will would be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that when people look at us and see us, they might recognize that we are skilled to be like you, that we are brave for you, that we might be able to speak well, and that when people look at us, they see fine-looking human specimens 
who look just like Jesus, if not on the outside, certainly on the inside. And when people see us, Lord, may they know that you are with us. And may they desire to have the same in their lives as you use us to be your witnesses. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name.